Members of the company, this is your half hour call. You have 30 minutes. This is your half hour call. You have 30 minutes. Thank you. Thanks to Roshan Khan for the call there. Hello. Welcome back to the Stage Podcast in association with Charcoal Blue. It's just me this month. Um, I'm not actually sure where Fergus is. I mean, last I heard he was on a walking holiday in Sussex, but that was a few weeks ago. Anyway, hopefully he'll be back next month because, uh, you know, he still hasn't found his calling in theatre. So we need to crack that one. Since I'm in charge, I thought I'd make this episode all about things that have been exciting me in theatre recently. You know, as a theatre critic, you see a huge amount of stuff, and sometimes that can mean a run of shows that aren't very good, or or they might even just be a bit unadventurous. Um, But in the last month, there's been so much stuff that's been really, really reinvigorating, so I thought I'd just talk to some of the people behind them. So a bit later, there's the new theatre company Spit Lip, who've written a musical about well, it's about a World War Two espionage plot involving a corpse. Um, but first, here's actor Bally Gill. So Bally was pretty much straight out of drum school and into the RSC, and he's just won the Ian Charlson Award for playing Romeo in Romeo and Juliet there. Uh, we'd been chatting on the phone and things for a while about Shakespeare, about who owns Shakespeare, who watches it, whether things are changing. So it was about time we just met for a coffee. So I started by finding out whether he'd won any other awards before the Ian Charlson. 100% attendance at school. Brilliant. Yeah, that's it. That's all I've ever won in terms of awards or been like up for anything. And that was, I was just saying, uh, that's the only reason why I was allowed to come back to school. I failed my first year of A levels, and that was the only reason why I was allowed to be back in and to redo them all again was because I, uh, yeah, I had 100% attendance. So. <laughs> I was, so did you yeah, not get ill? I, I, no, no. I, even when I did, I did. I had a, a foot injury. I was playing football and I had a foot injury and I still hobbled into into what? into school and then they sent me home. They sent me, I was yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, that's like, that's good preparation for being an actor as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'd never been nominated for, for acting for an award ever. Uh, never won anything like that. So from school, how did, how did you end up being an actor? I think I was about 15, 16 and... At my school, there was no acting drama department whatsoever. So I was, I, I think me and my dad, every kind of Tuesday, we'd go and see a show, like a matinee show. Yeah, yeah. And we went to see Bailey Elliott, and I remember, because the story, you know, is about a boy who wants to do something uh, that his parents don't really want him to do, yeah. the community's never seen him do something like that. And I remember cl- clicking with it on a, on a different level, it made me feel really emotional. And yeah, I was like to my dad on the train home, I was like, you think we could do the acting thing? And I was so shy at school, so like, he was kind of going, yeah, sure, all right then, cool. And then I asked my mum, my mum was like, no, can't do it. And then um, we got in contact with uh, the Belgrade Theatre in Coventry, and I went in as a writer first, and then they said there's a space on the acting course. Then afterwards, I went to Rose Bruford College, which is a three-year acting course. Yeah. And then was that the RSC? Ever, ever yeah, since? because That's you were basically, I yeah, straight out of Rose Bruford it, uh, into the RSC. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Although you did, didn't you do um, that one with that uh, with Stephen Burkhoff? Yeah, I did do that one with Stephen Burkhoff. That was my first ever gig at a drama school. Yeah, that was a bit intense. That was intense. <laughs> I mean, but you know what? You know what? It was so good because I studied him at A level. Then I went and got to work with him. My first ever gig at a drama school. I got to work with the dude that I've been studying. Yeah. Uh, and I learned so much from him, but also yeah. from Sanji Pasco who yeah. was in it as well. Who, you know, I grew up in this gracious me yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of comedy kind of you know for the Asian community so I learned 
I had two completely different styles <laughs> that I was just like, oh, that's good, I'll nick that. Oh, that's good, I'll nick that. I'll nick that. So I, I was learning, you know, it was a great first job. So then straight into the RFC? Practically, yeah. yeah. It was a Making Mischief project. Yeah, yeah. And it was a three-month three month gig uh, at, at the other place, which is the smaller theatre that they had in Stratford. So that was sort of spearheaded by Erica Wyman. Yeah, and yeah. And the amazing thing that she seems to be doing and has been doing in the last few years is like bringing people in through the other place which is a you know really small studio space they're then graduating to the main stages as well so she's really like giving you know it seems like you've you've been having a kind of career progression through the RSC yeah yeah from the other place into the the big stages it's kind of been like a drama school again I always think that I was like the RSC's like son like their their (laughs) naughty son that kind of um, cheeky cheeky chap Yeah, yeah. that kind of got through and it was like oh yeah oh, give, him, give, him a, give him a shot go on <laughs> but you said like Erica Wyman was the one who's, who spearheaded the Make a Mischief project with the new writing at the other place and she was the one that directed Romeo and Juliet and yeah. I remember uh, when it was announced they, they wanted someone for Romeo and Juliet and we were doing Make a Mischief at that point and uh, I think people were asking me what, what if you were going to be in it what would you be and I was like Tibble and I was like, I'll probably tip it. I would want to do Why something. Why do you think that? I never thought I was going to be Romeo. Like, that's, I just never thought that that was the thing. Okay. Um, but we've had another. You, you wrote an article about me, and, and the title was. Um, I never thought I'd work at the RSC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wa- well, yeah, but I, I so I'll disclaimer. <laughs> I didn't write the headline. But yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But, but that I, was one of the things that came out of it, wasn't yeah, it? Was yeah, that it's you, true. You know, I think particularly somewhere that like the RSC, which is it's in Stratford mm. on Avon. It's, it's associated so much with certain types of theatre makers, yeah, yeah. with Shakespeare, and that kind of stuff. It's still got that kind of quite. No, really white, yeah. really elitist perception, yeah. which I think again, Erica Wyman has been doing a huge amount to break down. Yeah. Um, but I mean, did that feed into why you thought? Oh, humongously, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't. Like I said, I never thought that. First of all, I never thought that Shakespeare. Like when I got into acting, Shakespeare was not on the radar. I'd seen some shows at the RSC. I'd seen, actually, weirdly enough, I'd seen Macbeth, and I had to write my A level exam on it. And it's weirdly like how many years later I'm in Macbeth at the RSC this yeah. year with Romeo and Juliet. So yeah. it, was, it was a little bit, it was, it was a bit surreal, it was a bit weird. But I think that's all I thought about was kind of uh, this is really posh RP white actors that do this thing. So it's never something that. You know, I never thought I'd be doing first of all doing. What do you think the significance of it is then, when like audiences get to see, particularly like younger audiences get to see you playing Romeo? I think it's really I think that the feedback that I've received from people of colour, from you know, young Indian people, or you know, any 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 person. It's yeah. not just people of colour either. It's just people that feel like Shakespeare wasn't for them. Yeah, and yeah, then when yeah. they see People, you know, the amount of people that said it didn't sound like you were saying Shakespeare. People like were looking through the text, going, "You guys don't sound like you're saying yeah. it." But, but it's just because you haven't, had, maybe you haven't had the perspective of it from us. It's, it's been a real journey for me to be able to say this sort of things now. So to be able to say Shakespeare for everyone, you know, because yeah. 
yeah. you hear all these things, but until you actually do it and live it and go through it and you know see the effect it has on yeah, other people, exactly. you don't you don't realise it. And I've never realised it until until now. Yeah. Going, but that's finished now. It's finished completely. You, you know what? I'm really enjoying just how you know yeah, what good. what the success of the show has yeah. happened and letting it all sink in because it was such a long period of my life. And you don't get to sort of step back and breathe a bit. Yeah. It, it takes a, a lot of your life. The RSC takes a lot of your life and, and those projects because you have to move away and then you go on tour and you go to London and stuff. Are you looking for roles now that aren't like Romeo and, you know, or basically big Shakespeare plays? You know what it is? It's all about character and story. I think what this production and, and you know, this story told me was it's important the stories we tell and it's important about the representation you said the representation and I think that's important and yeah I think that's that's something that is massively important yeah. to me and being able to represent you know myself but also you know the community we come from as well and if that's telling the stories and writing the stories and raping the stories and acting in the stories then that's something that I've I'm interested in. I remember when we had a Q&A and um, a gentleman on the front row, senior gentleman, said that uh, he couldn't understand us. And I think he meant, not, not audibly, like he, we were loud enough. Yeah. But I think he just, I think it was the accent. And he hadn't heard, and I think that's when I rang you up. Uh, because I kind of got a little, I got really angry about it because I was yeah. like, who, who owns Shakespeare? Yeah. Like, who, who owns it? Um, and it goes back to the kind of that, you know, up, you know, elitist, upper class, you know, middle class sort of thing of having a way to do it. Yeah. And that really frustrated me and annoyed me yes. that we could not change. I felt, I remember when I first Going to, we went to the RSC, there was a woman called Amy who used to work um, as part of the kind of, you know, outreach. And I remember I rang her up and I said, there's a couple of things that I'd like to do as part of this. One of them is to get my school involved, my secondary school. So I got my secondary school in Coventry, President Kennedy. Um, we used four people, four young performers from the school in our show as part of the prologue, as part of, you know, moving the set and, you know, doing various bits around the show as well. And that was something I wanted to do. And I thought, great, we've done that. Um, also, in terms of press, we wanted to use people that, you know, had not been affiliated with RSC at all. So we brought, you know, uh, people from the Asian community to, yeah. and, uh, to bring and do press, you know, releases, interviews and stuff like that, which was really important to me as well. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing was was to, to kind of help with the, the audiences who were watching the show. Because when you come out and you, and you perform, you do see uh, the same kind of demographic that can watch it. And I think that was something that was interested in doing. Um, but yeah, that was something that I was kind of going, who, who owns Shakespeare? Yeah. Who, who does it belong to? And I, Yeah, and I remember you saying as well that that feeds into um, who's in the press offices, who's in the marketing departments, the outreach departments, and who are they inviting in? Yeah. Because if you're inviting in, you know, the, the people who you've always invited in, then the people who are owning Shakespeare are going to continue owning Shakespeare and nothing's going to change. And also, I remember you talking about 
who are we celebrating as great Shakespearean yeah, actors? Yeah, that like, was it. Yeah, it's like, yeah. sure, you know, celebrate whatever, Lawrence Olivier or, or even, you know, something like David Tennant. Or but what about like Zubin Vala, who's yeah, an yeah, incredible yeah. actor, has been at the he's played, uh, he's played uh, Romeo as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. yeah. those, you know, some of the comparisons that I was getting compared to were, you know, uh, incredible actors, you know, but who were white. But there was no one that, you know, kind of represented me and who I was. And then I suppose it links in with the award is that it's nice to kind of get the recognition you know to, to, to play this part and it will always be in history you know because there was a lot of first exactly. there was a lot of I'm the first seat person to play that part at the yeah. seat, you know to win that award to, to do to do yeah. a lot of things and I think it's important that people see that and they go oh it's doable I don't mean that just as act in, in acting either because yeah. I remember talking to a bunch of um, school children saying just because I did this in acting doesn't mean that you can't do that in other fields. Like, exactly. It's just to go, the role models you can't see can be you. There must be a sense of responsibility when it comes to that, that comes with that. Do you feel that sense of responsibility? And also, do you think that's fair? Because, like, no one's asking you to to represent the Asian community. Yeah. You seem to think it's important, I think it's important, to, to take that upon yourself and assume that responsibility. But that's not fair, is it? I don't think it is fair. I think people of colour do anyway. I think I did feel that pressure. I think it was people in my own community that were saying you do represent right, us right. as well. Right. You know, kind of because it's never it's not been done before, it's never been done before, so I did feel the responsibility of it. And you're you're in water that you've never swam in before. Yeah. But I think I, I like it. Yeah, I like the pressure on the shoulders. I, I kind of thrive off of it because because that's because that's that's the that's also part of the, the job. But it is yeah. unfair to to do that, and um, you feel like you can't fail. Some risks that you you know that your maybe your white counterparts could take, they they won't be judged because of the colour of their skin. And there's been you know there was an article that came out. I won't give it, yeah, like, give props to that person, but, like, they, that they said that a certain actor wasn't good because of the colour of their skin. Yeah, that's what it was implied as. So, we, and we spoke just after that, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, I was, I was angry at that, because, yeah. because you don't like this person or this person isn't good, doesn't mean that, you know, people of that colour or people from that background, the whole, you don't carry that with you. You don't say carry it. that. But, and, but and unfortunately, the way you get reviewed, a little bit is, yeah because is there's lighter. so much at play there which that certain reviewer didn't take into account one of which is just because you don't like that playing style yeah, you don't doesn't like mean it. it's wrong doesn't no. mean that act has failed so that's one thing the second thing is even if you think they have failed they shouldn't as you say they shouldn't represent an entire community and then third just because you think they failed and you think they represent a community you can't then claim that it's a failure of positive discrimination you know, it's just, it was yeah. so insane. It was that. so ridiculous, um, and that what that came out 
the next show that was going to come out was Romeo and Juliet. So we were like, should we invite him? Should we not? Should we do? You know, and we did. And we were prepared for whatever he was going to say. So you talked about that in rehearsals and things that yeah, come up. it was. I didn't feel worried about it, but I was kind of. It, it was indefinitely in the back of my head, kind of going. Yeah. yeah. And I was, you know what? Also, if I'm really truthfully honest, I was expecting people to hate it, to yeah. hate Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, because I, I think it was because we were doing stuff that was so different, and we were messing with people's ideas of Shakespeare and. Uh, pivotal characters that you know yeah. are now going to be, you know, saying it different or having a different swagger or being played by a different, you know, different gender. So I was expecting it, but then what was interesting was we, you know, some people did didn't like it, but it which was, is inevitable, which is inevitable. So, but there was loads of people that really did, and it spoke to them, and um, everyone had an opinion on it, strong opinion on it, which is great. I yeah. love it when people have strong opinions. I, I liked it, I loved it. I I hate it. I didn't like it. I was like, that's great. You know, because because that's what it is. You know, but yeah. you don't want something that's going. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I yeah. don't feel any different. You, you know, it would be so, <laughs> such a shame if you sat there for three hours and you come out thinking, yeah, that was alright. Fine. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I like. I, I like it. I like I like that. It, I thrive off of that. So you know, test the waters. Yeah. See what happens. Because and that's that's um, that's been me all over the. I've wanted to do that. To try and do that and everything I do. Yeah. See what I can do if I can break the rules. See what happens. I'm excited to see how that plays out next. <laughs> now a word from our sponsors, Charcoal Blue. What makes the perfect performance venue? Good seats, great views of the stage, the bar, a queue for the toilet that doesn't take you out the front door. In truth, every venue is unique, from a rehearsal room to a West End house to a large-scale presenting venue or even an arena. Undertaking the design or renovation can be a challenge. But at Charcoal Blue, that's all they do. Charcoal Blue are the leading theatre, acoustic and digital design consultancy that have designed, renovated, tweaked and polished more than 150 performance and presentation spaces both here and abroad over the past 14 years. From a six-person mobile podcasting studio to a new home for the London Symphony Orchestra, their team of experienced musical and theatre professionals innovate at any scale. With studios in London, Bristol and Glasgow, speak to them today about how they can help you realise your ambitions for your space. Visit them at charcoalblue.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at charcoalblue.com. TC. Actually, I met um, Ian Stickland, who's head of uh, digital design at Charcoal Blue, the other week. Um, so there's an interview with him up on the stage website, if you're interested. He's a very interesting guy. So now, in 1943, a group of MI6 spies, one of whom was Ian Fleming, came up with a plan to trick Hitler by stealing a corpse, planting it with false top-secret papers, and dumping it off the coast of Spain. Um, the mission was called Operation Mincemeat, and was surprisingly successful obviously it was only a matter of time before someone turned it into a musical so that's exactly what new theatre company Spit Lip have done the company's made up of three members of the really amazing group Kill the Beast as well as composer Felix Hagen and they've essentially devised this incredible musical which is at the new diorama in London at the moment I saw it a week ago and I gave it a five star review because it's just so funny the songs are fantastic and as well as being really over the top it's also got this really clever kind of strain of seriousness about class and leadership and friendship so I wanted to find out more about their collaborative approach to writing it you know the breaking away from the traditional kind of composer book writer dynamic and to talk about the state of new musicals in the country at the moment so here's Tash Hodgson David Cumming and Felix Hagen when you were trying to get the show put on and stuff like that, mm-hmm. how did you sell it? 
what we say is it's sort of like Noel Fielding meets Noel Coward. Yeah, okay. Um, because we grew up and uh, on sort of like madcap, fun, surreal comedies that have super like loads of visions, loads of gags, very fast-paced stuff. Yeah. Um, but also we kind of wanted to try and tell uh, tell a story because um, that that felt like it had significance for today, as well mm-hmm. as sort of was a, a really just amazing, mad bit of history that people should know about and don't feel like you know I've been bored in history lessons for so long. Yeah, why haven't taught this? But um, and then you delve into it and you're like because it shows a lot of. <laughs> Yeah. flaws and a lot yeah. of questionable things are done yeah. I'm curious to know because I, I knew a tiny bit about the the story beforehand mm-hmm. what's not true in the show so I mean the vast majority of Act 1 is all true in fact everything in Act 1 is yeah. true yeah all the characters <laughs> all, you all the characters you meet yeah. all the names are correct so that um, includes Ian Fleming yeah, oh, yeah. Ian, Ian Fleming, Fleming. so Ian Fleming yeah, wouldn't okay so Ian Fleming wouldn't necessarily have met these people in that context but he was part of the similar committee about 10 years earlier mm-hmm. where he proposed this this idea that had come up from a novel he'd read and then Chumley <laughs> later found it and then reproposed it and was like and he kind of drew it all up but and wrote it all these, out all of these spies went on to like write spy novels this is the thing like they just right. couldn't stop like, yeah, like it's, it's really interesting that like obviously the, the job of being a spy is to do the work and we were listening to the explore the film you know do the work and you don't get recognition for it but I think there's something in the human spirit particularly maybe at that time or whatever that makes them want to be like but we did all this amazing stuff and we have to get it out and so they sort of came out of the and then my five and went well, now we are spy novelists yeah. Yeah, we put it all into that it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing yeah. really. and also this kind of in the current climate particularly Brexit, the kind of constant looking back of like going back yeah. to, uh, um, you know, make Britain great again, the kind yeah. of, like yeah, MAGA, American, and like oh, yeah. things were different then, people thought properly, people were honest and true. It's like, no, they weren't. They no, were stealing they were corpses. <laughs> they were like yeah. actually yeah. mad. Like they yeah. were yeah. all they were mad. They were all murder. drunk. Yeah. They were all, yeah. Like, yeah, true, all true. I think it's something in no television and no um, internet made for people every person in it has a really weird hobby or a really weird yes. interest that they just do in their spare time like Montague and his communist brother uh, he founded the he, British ping pong uh, table tennis table league tennis, <laughs> table tennis league and they, yeah. were, uh, they were obsessed with cheese they were cheese enthusiasts and wrote to sailors asking them if they ever found a, mu- uh, a, 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 a whale who was, had, a, had a whale calf to try and milk, get, it. M- milk the whale and send them whale cheese you can't put it in a show because people no. are just like that's people, ridiculous yeah. like, you're, you're taking the piss now it's too yeah. right yeah. Yeah. but you're not like, yeah. 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 now we talk about which of the seven box sets are you currently watching yeah. then it was like Oh, which uh, species cheese are you eating today? <laughs> species like... of cheese. <laughs> when I'm scrolling through Facebook, I'm like, God, I'm sure there's a shrew I could be tickled. Yeah. 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 Or other animals to milk. Yeah. Yeah. Animals. How many animals have we tried to milk? Exactly. And why is it never enough? Yeah. <laughs> obviously, it's a story set in 1943, um, but we're obviously sitting in the set right now. It's all brightly coloured. That, that's because we were like, you know, 1943, what do you think? You think rations and greyness. And we were very much, very clear that both sonically and visually we wanted to kind of rip it from 1943 and bring it into the modern day. So that's why we've got rap in there. We're just basically using whatever sound is best for the emotion of that, of that piece. And a lot of people actually ask throughout the process, like, what's, what's the style of the music? And like, a musical has to have a style. Like, is, yeah. it, is it rock? Is it jazz? Is it, well, like, it's just the story. Like, we're just telling yeah. the story and whatever comes from it. And I disagree, I disagree with that statement anyway. All my favorite musicals are not here's a genre, we're sticking to it, so it sounds like an album. Yeah. All my favourite musicals are an assault on your brain from every different angle with all different musical vocabulary and say, you know, because we go over to Spain, right, well, here's some 
so nearly swore. Here's some, you know, big Spanish dance music, and then you know we come over to you know, and here's a very kind of patriotic da 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 thing with the yeah. horn section, and it's got like a bit of the British Grenadier in there. Particularly, I think also because it's the first musical we've ever written, um, yeah. and we kind of just more than anything else, our, our most important is that we want it to be a damn, if you'll excuse my bloody French, <laughs> a damn good time. And like, we kind of, we like, yes, we could have kind of gone restricted and like, you know what, it needs to be the 40s throughout, but you know, we'll add an extra jazz horn in and all the people will get that. <laughs> we don't care about that, really. Yeah. What we want is to just give people tunes mm. that they go away singing, that they yeah. love and that we love performing. What were the reference points that you were sort of maybe thinking of in some of those songs? My things are, you know, Cole Porter and Lionel Bart and, uh, and you know, big, like, super you know, joyful, entertaining things like that. Yeah, Book of Mormon, like so South yes. Park, the good, longer and uncut. Like yeah. Hamilton, obviously. I think yeah. like, I think Hamilton basically blasted the doors open in terms of what musicals can do. Yeah. Generally, uh, London Road, London like Road. sort of taking like the vo- natural voice and trying to. F- Putting it to music and seeing what that does. The yeah. fun, the fun of Chicago. Fun of Chicago. Yeah, and, like, and the Chicago. performance element of cab- like the, of the of the songs in cabaret when they're on the cabaret stage. Yeah. I, I mean, we kind of bit of Billy Elliot. Bit of, bit of Billy, Billy Elliot. Elliot. <laughs> yeah. I never thought that, but yeah. And yeah. then a lot of pop. Yeah, and pop. Yeah. Like, pop. The Six. opening about two yeah. is very much we wrote it as a K-pop track, but like we want to write a K-pop modern yeah, yeah. banger. Which, which I think, and I think the whole thing about pastiche, it's like obviously we've, uh, uh, most of us, the four of us creators have come from uh, Kill the, Beast, the Kill the Beast, who we, and we have dealt in sort of that line of homage, pastiche, sort yeah. of meshing genres together quite a lot. And like, we've never, we've never really stepped into, I will hope anyway, that we, we, we try not to go into parody because yeah. parody seems to be poking fun at the thing that it's, Sort of taking inspiration from, and though there is a joy to be had in that, it's never for that for us. It's never really been about that. It's kind of going. We love this thing, and we want to kind of bring all these influences together so that it feels like it's sort of greater than some of its parts. So that when you're listening to it, you kind of go, "There's some of that, and there's some of that, and some of that," and kind of celebrating all these different influences that have brought us together without yeah. kind of going, and, "And aren't we cleverer than them?" Because we're not. Yeah, <laughs> we like, just, but, yeah we like, like, like pushing at the edges <laughs> of it and being like, "Well, what? Like, how far can it go to?" towards this bit, yeah. so that you're kind of pu- pushing the envelope of each different thing that you are pastiching. Every single thing we've written, it's always, we love the genre, yeah. and we love the music, we're not trying to, you know, but take the piss. Like, that's the only way to do it, with, like, probably, you know, like, being, trying to be honest, like, it's all very well to be like, we're going to do a shit version of this thing that exists that's really good, like, yeah. like no. we'd much rather try our really, really best to make it really make good, it good, and then if someone goes, is that a parody? We go, um, yeah, that's yeah. what we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually very clever. It's actually Smart, yeah, sort of take on. Yeah. So, definitely. Felix, you, you're, you've been a composer for a while, um, but you, but you know, Tasha's saying it's the first musical that you've done. How have you put it together? I mean, what was the process of writing these songs? Was it mainly you sitting in your room on your own, or was it really? No, no, no. It was the most collaborative thing I've ever done. I mean, my basically my whole career up to this point has been me sitting in a room on my own. I'm utterly insane at this point. <laughs> but true. the uh, but with these trousers right now. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just taking the trail. <laughs> Under these trousers are more trousers. I'm wearing all my trousers. The, um, the, but like every single song started out as a 15 hour long discussion and listening to endless pieces of music and coming up with endless concepts. It'd be us all sitting around together with me at a piano and then at some point or other, when you've talked about it for hours and hours and hours, and something will tumble out of the ether. lost his trousers for the fourth time. Yeah. Still many yeah. layers to go. <laughs> it's really looking bad. And then something will come out because um, my because uh, my whole thing, and I think we you know we all share this technique, especially when it comes to writing musical theatre, is to get to the the kernel from which the rest of it will grow. Which for 
you know, it's the refrain, it's the line, it's the line that ends the chorus or whatever. So, for example, one of the early songs in the show is called Born to Lead. So we came up with this thing, some were born to follow, but we were born to lead. Once you've got that, which took hours upon hours to get that one clock, the sentence. Then everything else. Then everything. Well, you got that. Well, now you know exactly how the rest of the song is going to go. Yeah. So it's always try and get to that bit first, which is the bit that takes ages, yeah. and then everything else will tumble out once you've got yeah. the shape we, of it. And that sort of deal with like confusing lyrics and like. Every single song is version. Oh. Eight, nine, ten, and up. Which is what it should be, right? So, like, you know, yeah. but your first is idea a, is never right. Yeah. But it's also that's a very like labour-intensive way of doing it. <laughs> takes so that ages. Yes. Takes Insane. time. Obviously, that takes money as well. So I mean, luckily, <laughs> it doesn't take money. If you don't pay yourself. <laughs> it doesn't. So that's the way to do it. Just yeah. Don't pay yeah. yourself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So wow. easy. Why do I'm people think of it? it? Don't pay anyone for art, <laughs> and then it's fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's so that's the happy of side of it, you, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. tell that to my landlord. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, yeah, I mean, it does take time. It, but but this was for yeah. a long time. It's a project of love. We we just wanted to write a musical, and we were like, you know. So that's how <laughs> yeah. it started. Like, we want to write a musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and then we saw the new drama putting out um, a call out for the for the next season, and we applied and we got it, and we were like, well. Okay, now this is happening. Now, like, now, now it's actually on. What existed when you applied? Two um, songs. Two, two songs. Two songs. Two songs. And, and the, obviously the plot. The and the whole idea. And two the, songs, yeah, one of which is not in the show anymore. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The story you stole. Yeah. 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 Um, so Spitlip is a kind of um, like a renegade group from Kill the Beast. We like to think of ourselves as renegades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the renegades of musical theatre, the most dangerous group of all. Yeah, the rogue one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> is this going to continue? Is Spitlip going to continue? No, we don't like each other at all. No, no, no. it's been really hot. Yeah, um, stand them. Disbanding at this point. No, yeah, I think we all want to. We all want to continue. We also don't necessarily want to be like, and this is this project done. Goodbye, New Wing. We also wrote this knowingly commercially. It's yeah. the first thing. So Kill the Beast have never, we've always been very like, this is our wonderful little crafted piece of madness. Um, and perhaps over time we've kind of commercial failures, you might say. Yeah. Well, I think over time, we've, <laughs> o- o- I, think, I think critical success. I think early on, early on, we'd be like, why doesn't why is everyone knocking down the door and demanding this is suddenly on BBC One? And then, and as you get older, you're a bit like, because it's oh, because weird. it's weird and mental, yeah. not everyone gets it. Whereas, and so we were like, well, you know, okay, fine, we can keep that going, yeah. but actually, can we challenge ourselves to? temper down some of our instincts to be completely bonkers yeah, and be like can we write something way. and yeah feed it into something that could potentially actually have a much much bigger audience and hopefully we yeah, have we'll see. done that we'll see yeah who knows but and also with regards to musicals none of us are like super chin strokey you know want to go watch a sort of one person serialist tone poem show that's Speak all in yourself, but yeah you know I like ridiculously commercial musical theatre. I like stuff that is massive and purely exists to entertain the absolute arse off you for two and a half hours. Conspicuous consumption didn't end in the reign of Charles II. It carried on in Felix's heart. The more ridiculous and explodey it can be. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) But interestingly, this seems like it took a lot of a shorter period to write than a lot of new musicals do, which seem to just languish for years, being workshops and workshops. And yeah. Well, we had a very, very hard deadline. 
yeah. we had the show yeah. books, so, you know, we had this book. Yeah, and we've yeah. been working together for so long, yeah. I think. Like, yeah. I think Maybe, that yeah. we're just very used to, first of all, being awful to each other, so you don't have that back and forth of kind of like, hey, you've written a song. But I like cool. that like, idea. Yeah, this is shit though, isn't it? So should we just try again? Yeah. Um, so I think we cut off quite a lot yeah. of that. And also because we do it all ourselves, we are, you know, we are, we directed it, we choreographed it, mm-hmm. we produced it, it, we produced it. Like, again, thank, thank you, lack of money. But I think, again, what that does is it forces you to speed up because there's no those conversations are between the four of us and not between and I, us plus, plus exactly and I think people. I think because there is four of us as well it's quite rare that you have whilst it slows down the actual creation process not just having like I, I go plinky plonky and you go righty righty mm-hmm. and, thus, and thus we make a musical um, whilst it <laughs> makes it longer to actually get the work made because there's four people at the end of a week, one person's emailing, being like, "Guys, what's going on? Like, we haven't done what we were meant to do this yeah. week." We're and all it, accountable. We're all accountable. Yeah. That's interesting as well because you're you're bringing uh, not you you're not just uh, as you say not one of you. What was it? Plinky plonky. Plinky plonky. Right. Not a technical term. Technical you probably wouldn't understand, but yes, right. yeah. plinky plonky. Yes. Righty, righty. Right. I'm a plinky plonkist, <laughs> and these are yeah. usually once the writer and the composer have done their beautiful thing then they have to find a producer and then they have to find a venue and all that kind of stuff yeah. but because you're doing it yourself and you have all those skills yourself that's quicker you do what you have you have a lyrics writer and then you have a composer and then you have a, someone who writes the book and it's like but the characters are all do, all the characters are the same like how is can, coming from a devisey sort of neurotic background the idea that you can one person could write the, voice the, the, the dialogue, yeah. and then it's like, and then you have a cutoff point, and then the new voice is by the person who writes the lyrics. It's kind of like in any form of storytelling, except for musicals, that would be insane. But for yeah. some reason, that is the tradition. Mm-hmm. And I think what's been nice about this show and like testing out this way of working and stuff is, you know, it hopefully feels very coherent in terms of tone of voice, even though there is four writers, because we sort of write all of it together and have such a good handle on these characters and have been with them for so long. Yeah, we don't have that sort of traditional, which seems to me a fairly mad disconnect. When you play in bands, you have to, especially when you're independent, unsigned, whatever you want to call it, you know, you don't failing, have... Failing miserably. Failing miserably. Wow. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Mum. Didn't know you were here. The, um, the, uh, but you, re- you work out, you know, eventually, that you're, you're not going to have someone come along and book all your gigs for you. You're not going to have someone come along and just devise your music videos or promote your things or do or produce your records. So learn to do it yourself. Yeah. The only way to do something is to actually just do it. Like, we didn't know if we could devise a musical. The only way you find out if you can do it is just by giving it a go. You know, there are, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Like, I, I've always thought, how on earth would you ever start writing a musical? You don't. You start by writing a song, right? And yeah. then you just build. Well, then what's the next song? Like, we, like you just find the first song, and it builds yeah. from there. Our first the song end, isn't like, in the show anymore. Yeah, of we just, it was right. just like, it was just like a mad, mad song that we came up with that was like a sort of that, strange that, yeah. James Bond theme pastiche. Trout, it Trout ticklers beat Hitlers. Good Lioras. Good Lioras. Yeah, Good Lioras yeah. yeah. be It was about a memo that was yeah. sent out about called the Trout Memo, which was sort of trying to new ways to, to, to get off, get rid of Hitler. And we were like, Trouts, Trout, Hitler, done. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a musical. Trout ticklers be And that was like, and that obviously that ended up being the way in. Yeah. And yeah. you know, as, as I said earlier, your first idea is never that's the, the best. That's the thing, yeah, I think yeah. that's like, we, we think we treat almost everything we write first off as the crap thing we have to get rid of in order to make the thing that's good. And I think, 
Yeah, that's, and that's a scary thing, because basically well, that, what you're admitting there is that the thing you write down, first of all, is not very good. Um, and I think well, as soon as you make peace with that, it becomes much so less easier. Yeah, because yeah. it's just that's like, terrifying. you've got to get through the first three drafts where you're yeah. just like, this is terrible, yeah. oh no. It's like that yeah. thing, of, uh, always bring it back to this, it was when we were making Don't Make the Dub, and we were having an awful time with that. Uh, great show, but it was hard to make. <laughs> um, and at one point... Tasha and I were just talking, and it was like, she's like, the show's there. It's like in the ground underneath us, and we ju- you just have to keep digging. And you have to dig through all the soil and all the crap, and then yep. you find that nugget. It's like mining away for a show. You just keep mining away, and you find the diamond. But until you've literally beaten through the earth for weeks and years, mm. there's, you know, all, all that, all that crap's just rock, and then you finally find the diamond. And yes. you've just got to kind of accept that. Yeah. Do you think the diamond's always there? Um, no. But... Uh, if you're a good enough theatre maker, at some point you'll realise you need to just change direction, then you're diamonds. I think, like, mm. generally what happens with us is, like, obviously you end up having endless arguments forever because that's what happens with dear, dear collaborators and friends. But generally <laughs> uh, yeah. speaking, if, if, if you can't, like, usually there is a res- there's a re- resolution to be found. And if the resolution is not being found, it is because we are asking the wrong question. Yeah. Or we're on the wrong track or on the wrong direction. And it's then that you kind of go, there's something fundamental here yeah. that needs to shift. And that's the worst day of all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're all the worst yeah. day of all. Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but and, but in some ways that's that's again quite freeing because it's kind of going. That's this is not. Uh, there's a big red flag here, and it's not our fault. And we just need to kind of go away, have a think about it, and trust that ultimately the like all our instincts together are going to get us where we need to be, even if it's actually a sort of sideways move away from this current idea um, to whatever it's supposed to be. Because my, you know, I compose for you know for loads of stuff, and you always have to turn in a finished product. You send off a finished song, and when we were starting this out, you know, I was like, we'd have this idea for a song, and I'd go away for ages, like two weeks, or you know, and kind of, you know, because I wanted to send in this per- fully yeah. perfect thing, ta da! Yeah. And it was really slowing the process down. Yeah, we had to like, really yeah, you had to really say, to look, stop, just please stop. Send doing us. That. So by the end, I was like, I got this thing. It's like la la la. How about that? And then you send that off, and then it's like much, much quicker because yeah. the never stops, you know, yeah, never yeah, yeah. drops. You have to just not be afraid of looking. Yeah, when you're not afraid at all yeah. of criticism, and you know. Yeah, and, and that's the only way you can be because you know we're com- all coming at it one because we want it to be good, and two because we're from a place of love, we like working with each other. Otherwise, we wouldn't have decided to do this mm. off our own back in our own free time for our own energy. And that ultimately, once you kind of go, do you know what? No matter how annoying they can be when they question my thoughts Carry on. they still have the, the best interests of everything at heart and also it means that you know we, we all our ideas have to be the absolute best like yeah. you have to fight each other yeah they constantly have to. because it's ultimately there's no Pokemon. one person going to be like yeah i've got the shiny and i'm just gonna yeah. crack into the tower there that was a bit of a uh, what were they called that was a pog joke a pog joke, a pog joke <laughs> tag pog jokes for the for the kids in the back there um and then lo- very last thing what's your have you got like a favourite line from the show? I just I really love all the Spillsbury the suburban Spillsbury lines. You know that he's in comedy for digital discovering dishonesty and catching crooks. Yes, he's got the whole monopoly in monopoly yeah, of the coffee. Yeah, like he's also an addition on a Yeah, that is pretty fun. Yeah, he's more than a mortician. He's a monster of it. Oh no, he's a one man inquisition. Crooks get their convictions. They've been Spillsbury. Like it's just good stuff. Members of the company, this is your beginner's call. Please make your way to the stage. This is your beginner's call. Thank you. That's it then. As ever, there is absolutely comprehensive coverage of theatre in all its forms over on the stage website. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next month, when hopefully we will have found Fergus again. Bye-bye.